Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Let's get this message out to as many people as possible. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 that in the last days, the Spirit explicitly says, He pretty much he, he is uh, zoning in, He's emphasizing that in the last days, there will be many that are seduced by demon, demon spirits and doctrines of demons. And as a result, many will fall away from the faith. So now is a time not to cower or shy away in addressing the things that we're about to talk about today, but to tackle it head on. We do not speak or preach on the subject of demons or Satan or, or, or fallen angels or whatever. Just to We're not doing that to glorify the devil. We're doing that to expose the devil's work. And as such, as people come uh, to the knowledge that the problem they're facing is not just a regular part of life. The problem you're facing is not just... Uh, you know, the product of old age or, you know, some, some people struggle in different ways, but the problem you're facing actually has a spiritual root. That's when you'll now be able to channel necessary spiritual energy in tackling and opposing and challenging and re uh, resolving uh, the problems you're facing and you're dealing with. You don't ignore problems. You expose them for what they are and then you take the necessary tools from the Word of God to alleviate, to, to bring restoration, and to bring freedom in those areas. So this topic, that when we preach on it, it should not produce fear in you. It should not produce, if any preacher, I said it on Tuesday, if any preacher gets up and begins to preach on the subject of demons or of hell or the, or the devil, and it strikes fear in you, then you know that that preacher is not preaching the Word of God because the Word of God does not put fear fear in you for or against or with regards to the, 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 the forces of darkness. Rather, it puts a sense of superiority in you where you now feel that you're, uh, you are adequately equipped to deal with anything that would come your way. So this message today is going to be a humiliating session for the devil, but a God-exalting session. This will be a crushing session for the devil and his forces but a session where you are going to get necessary tools equipped in your arsenal, your tool belt, to be able to go and make the devil's days ahead, the worst days he's ever had in human history. That's what God is doing in these last days. He's raising up believers. He's raising up an army that are going to put the devil in his place, which is not over our head, and it's not eye to eye. The only place the scriptures say the devil has a room for in your life is under your feet, not above, under your feet. You are above the forces of darkness, and we're going to get into that. But first and foremost, I want to read a scripture, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. This is important that you understand this. Matter of fact, let me start with Galatians 3.26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God. That means you weren't redeemed as a slave. You were not redeemed as some pawn in his game. You were redeemed as a daughter, as a son of God in Christ Jesus. That means the inheritance that Christ received for himself. Romans 8 says we are now because the spirit of God testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. 
We are now joint heirs with Christ Jesus. What belongs to Christ through, through redemption, that inheritance now belongs to us. And so Paul is saying here to the Galatians, verse 27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor is there Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is literally saying, detach from your past. Stop bringing up your past position and then giving an excuse as to why things aren't happening today. Detach from your past. There's neither Greek, there's neither Jew, there's neither female, there's neither male. He goes even as deep to say there's no female or male. He's not saying that there's no genders. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that it doesn't matter if you're, don't use excuses. Well, I'm a female, so I can't really act in authority, uh, in, you know, when, when dealing with the devil. Or I, I'm, I'm a Greek, so, you know, the Jews have a special place in the hearts of, hearts of God. And even though we're saved and we've been branched in, we're still below the Jewish people. Or he's saying there's neither uh, slave nor free. Well, you know what? I've never been rich in life, so, you know, I really can't operate in that level of authority because, I, you know, I've always had this struggle here. I've always been addicted to this. My whole, he's saying detach from that past. Totally disengage from the identity you used to have. You are no longer, people say that for year after year. Well, how many of you know we're just sinners saved by grace? You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You were, the Bible says, a child of wrath. You were destined for wrath. You were under the regime of hell. But I don't identify like that anymore. And Paul is saying, neither should you. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses, it is no longer you who lives. Christ now lives in you. So I don't, I don't, I go as far as to say, uh, my last name has changed. I might have the last name Malkanji on paper, but my last name has changed. I've been disengaged. I've been disconnected from my human lineage and my human genealogy, and I'm now added to the genealogy of Christ. In Christ Jesus, I have a new genealogy. I have a new lineage. Does cancer pass through the lineage of Christ? It doesn't matter if your grandfather had cancer, your great-grandfather had cancer, your great-great-grandfather had cancer, and it seems to me that your, your father's going to get in, you're going to get in, your children, you're never going to detach or break away from that. That's how it used to be. But now, see yourself the way, the way the Bible sees you. Cancer doesn't run in the lineage of Christ. You look at the fathers of our faith. Abraham, he wasn't struggling with diseases or sickness or pain. Matter of fact, at 100 years years old he was becoming a, a father of Isaac and at 105 he was raising five-year-old Isaac at 115 he had a 15 year old teenager he had to put in his place and, and and deal with so you can see Jacob same thing Caleb said at 85 I'm just as strong today as I was when I was 40 for fighting and to to go to war the cancer, disease, pain, sickness does not run in that lineage stop I don't well how many of you know you know what, depression, once someone has it, it's most likely going to pass on to your children and your children. You know, people say it all the time. They say that if you have rheumatism or any type of arthritis or whatnot, that it's, you know, it, it, oftentimes it passes through the bloodline. And if you have blood pressure problems, oftentimes, it, you know, and then they get people ready and prepared expecting 
that one day you're going to have that. And remember what you expect, you will experience. What you expect, you'll experience. So the devil literally tries to line up your expectation because of what people who've gone before had in their life. He lines up your expectation with what they saw. And as such, you know, whatever you expect, you'll experience, whether good or bad. Expectation uh, for what the devil's going to do will produce fear. And that fear is an invitation for him to come and have freeway in your life. That's why we're to line our expectations up with the word of God. I don't care what a preacher has said. I don't care what my family's been through. I don't care. what you know. I had, a, I had someone in my family have a pancreatic attack. And um, I went to visit them in the hospital. And they said, you should probably get checked because doctors said this might be in our genealogy in our uh, genetics and stuff and so you know uh, that person's father had it and so she, she was pretty much saying you should go and get checked and and you know she she does she's not safe so she doesn't understand any better so i didn't like let loose on her but in me my wife was there in that hospital room when we, when i went to pray for her and um my wife when she started saying you know you could get pancreatic problems because you know it passes through the bloodline and, and it, we've traced it back to our grandmother. It's a common ancestor, so you should go and get checked. In the natural, I was keeping myself very calm and, and conservative. But my wife, she immediately looked at me because she knows on the inside of me was a roaring lion shouting out, not me, never, never. It's no longer I who lives. Whatever I was before is gone. A new me has emerged. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new specimen, a new species of being. What I was before is not what I am now. I might have started off at the same level as everyone else, but when I came to Christ, the Bible says that we have experienced a metamorphosis, a transformation from the inside out. It's Christ, the hope of glory in me. And it affects me, spirit, soul, and body. My body now takes on the nature of the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 11, He quickens your mortal body. So let's move on because this is not at all what I wanted to preach on today, but it's where I'm going. Verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Now, verse four, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, I need you to get this in your spirit. This is important. This is why I opened the Bible up to here. Now I say... That the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons, crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, you are an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Verse 1, I say, Paul says, the heir, the one who has been promised everything, the one who has part uh part to take in the inheritance the one who has a a blessed inheritance remember as ephesians 1 3 says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places paul is saying though everything every promise in 
God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. It's all, it all belongs to you. It all is available to you. However, if you remain childlike in understanding, if you don't mature and press on to the things, to the higher things of God, to the deeper things of God, if you remain spiritually as an infant, if you do not develop your understanding of your identity in Christ, if you stay at the same level of square one as you are 10 years and 20 years from now, this is what Paul says, you will not differ at all from a slave, though you be master of it all. Even though God has positioned you as a master over Satan, if you remain childlike, infant in your understanding, you will differ not at all from a slave. You will stay a slave to the devil and his forces, even though the blood of Christ has the potential and power to set you free. Even though the blood of Christ, even though the name of Jesus, when mentioned in faith, has the power to blast out the forces of darkness, if you do not press on in your understanding of the word, you will remain a slave to the devil the rest of your life. The Bible says it in Proverbs 16, 20. Um, he that wanders from the way of understanding, he that wanders from the way of knowledge, he that does not pick up this Bible and study to show himself approved, will rest in the assembly of the dead. That means a dead man, a one who is not alive in Christ, one who is not saved, who is not redeemed, who is not bought by the blood, one who has not come um, alive by the revelation of Jesus, the Son of God will look, that guy's life will look no different from yours, even though you have everything at your disposal, even though you have everything at your, they're all resources you can have and partake in, your life will not look any different from someone who's not even saved because you have wandered from the way of understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 5, a man of knowledge increases strength. A man of knowledge, a man of wisdom increases strength, strength, Strength spiritually, strengthen his authority. That's why you can have one person that walks into a room and a demon manifests, and in like three minutes, that demon's out, no matter how high and strong of a demon it was. And in others, it takes like eight hours. It shouldn't take eight hours to cast out a stupid devil. <laughs> it should not take eight hours to deal with any devil, with any demon. You look at the apostles. It never took them more than five, ten minutes to deal with it. I, I, I talked about Lester Sumrall on Tuesday and on some instances where he encountered demon powers. It never took him long. The moment he arrived on the scene, you have to see yourself like this. When you arrive on the scene, the Bible says very clearly, the whole creation is eagerly awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 5, Ye are the light of this world. You are the salt of the earth. The moment I show up, darkness cannot stand the pressure I put on it, and it has to leave. If I turn on the lights in this room, I don't have to fast and pray and put oil on the light bulbs for the light bulbs to come on. No, I've paid the electricity bill. That's been done with. So now I trust in the power the electrical company has uh, reserved for me that when I, when I press, slightly put a pressure on that light switch, the light is going to turn on and darkness can't have a say about it. Well, in the same vein, in the same vein, Jesus went to the cross. He died the, a sinner's death. 
He took upon himself the curse of the law. He suffered death for us all. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.14, even as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, so that through death he might partake uh, through death he might destroy, sorry, him who had the power of death. Jesus tasted death for us all that he might go into the regions where the devil was and is and destroy him. Who not, not just, you know, he didn't go down to, to hell to see the devil and just argue with him and say, hey, listen, you, you got to let my people go. No, he destroyed him who had the power of death, so that we now, in faith, no longer have to live submitting to his, tor his terror, his horror, or his tyrannical regime another day in our life. So, you have to understand, Proverbs 24, 5, a man of knowledge increases his strength. The more you get this word in you, the more spiritual fortitude and resistance you have in resisting the devil. The more enlightened you are with your spiritual position and authority in Christ, the cheaper and easier the devil's going to back off when you give a command. The words you speak have to be backed by a heart-rooted conviction built on the word of God before they can produce anything. That's why you have people that they like use the name of Jesus like it's a rabbit's foot in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name, and nothing ever turns for them. They can say it a thousand times and won't do anything. Jesus even said, I'm not moved by idle word or empty talk. It ha your talk has to be loaded with God's word for it to produce power and put the devil on the run. So how do you load your talk with the word of God? By studying. That's why I commend you. You tuned in today. You're getting his word built up into your spirit so that in the day, Proverbs 24, 10, if you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. If you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. Too small. So what do you do if you're failing at life? Do you just complain and say, well, I guess God has a different path for me to go on? Or do you identify that perhaps my... So people are so prideful. They fail in an area, and so they say, well, it has to be God's fault. Instead of looking to the Word... Seeing that there's a deficit in my spirit concerning, uh, when it comes to knowledge, concerning the area I'm suffering in. And as such, I'm going to build myself up in my most holy faith. And like Paul said in Acts 20, 20 24, the Bible says, Acts 20, 24, Acts 20, 32, sorry. I commend you now to God and to the ministry of his word, which is able to build you up. Build you up. The Word of God is what produces energy in your spirit so that you don't fail in the day of adversity, but when the enemy comes rushing in like a flood, you can raise up by the Spirit of God a standard against him so that no weapon he ever forms against you ever prospers, but rather the tongue that rises up to condemn you, you now have a fortress of knowledge from his word to condemn that thing and send it back to hell where it belongs anything that's raised up against you anything that has set its scope on you every devil in hell even if it's satan himself that has put made it a point to wipe you out to destroy to steal kill and destroy those things as you react violently to it today those things fall flat in Jesus name every door of sickness that the enemy has opened in your life gets closed on his face today every door of poverty every door of mental 
a bondage that the devil has tried to open up in your life, it gets slammed in his face today. And God is going to, he holds the key of David. And with that key, he is opening doors of health, of strength, of vitality, which is flowing into your body today, right now, in the name of Jesus. He is still, he is still in this day and this age, the God of miracles. He is still in 2021, the God who can do the impossible. He's still the God who provides, nourishes, and cares for his children. And he said, if you'll cast your cares on me and do what I've told you to do, I will care for you. When God cares for you, he does not wrap his arm around you and give you a nice, tender, cute hug. No, when God cares for you, the Bible says, he that touches you touches the apple of my eye and I will shake my fist against him. Even if your father forsook you, even if your mother has forsaken you, God said, I, the Lord, will never forsake you. God, I see God rising up today and putting your enemies to flight in Jesus' name. If you believe that, just put the hands up emoji Man, I feel the presence of God. The Lord is on your side. God is your helper. And Psalms 18 verse 44, I believe it is, says, when I cry out, my enemies shall turn back for God is for me. If God be for you, who can be against you? If the Lord began the work, nobody can stop the work. If God called you to it, then he's equipped you to get it done. The Bible says he that began a good work, he shall complete it for greater is he that lives in you. You're more than a conqueror. You're not called to a life of suffering and struggle. You're called to a life of strength to strength. Glory to glory and victory to victory. And you're going to taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Understand that the devil is your only scripturally acknowledged enemy. So don't get mad at your wife. Don't get mad at your husband. Don't get mad at that coworker. Don't get mad at, at uh, that boss that's treating you poorly. They're not the, they're not the source of it. The enemy, the devil is the only scripturally acknowledged enemy in all the Bible. The very word devil means slanderer. He lives to slander the people of God. He lives to put down, to crush, to oppress the people of God. He lives because he cannot uh, attack God himself and he's angry at God and he want, he's maliciously plotting to you know, one day he's going to make war against God. That's the battle of Armageddon, but he can't do that. And he'll never win. So since he knows that, what does he do? He goes against God's most prized and cherished possession, which is what? You and I, people created in the image of God. When, let me read this. Ezekiel 28. So a lot of preachers, they get on live streams or they get up in their pulpit and they love to magnify the devil like he's some undefeatable, inconquerable foe, that he's some big dude, that ultimately we got to pray that God just helps us in our battle against him because, you know, woe is you if you ever have to face him. Just pray that one, pray that you never have to face him. Pray that you never have to uh, encounter demonic opposition. Just pray. Whenever he comes walking on one side of the street, move to the other side and avoid. That's how most preachers do it. Avoid him. And then you have other preachers, when you get up in their service, you, you go to their church or, or whatnot, all they do for like 30 minutes is binding Satan, binding this demon, binding that, binding this. The whole service is literally exalting Satan because all they're doing is talking about binding this, binding this, binding that. It, what is he, like a slippery fish? You just got to bind him once, cast him out. 
You know, he's not some slippery fish that you bind him once, but he gets up. That slippery devil. Let me go and get him on the other side. I, in, in Jesus' name, Satan, I bind you here. Oh, I, I'm going to go to the other side. It seems like he slipped. Nick, what are you doing? If he's that, you know, if he's that sly and if he's that like squirmy, we have our work cut out. He's not that strong. He has limited strength and limited reach. And I'm going to show you from Ezekiel 28 what the Bible says. Doesn't matter what a preacher said or doesn't matter what, what um, Christian TV says. What does the Bible say about him? Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre. The word lamentation literally means, um, the word lamentation literally means funeral song. So, Ezekiel, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying, sing a funeral song for the devil. Sing a funeral song for the devil. You have some songs where it's like, it's not a funeral song, it's, it's glorifying him. But the Bible instructs us we should sing funeral songs. What's a funeral song? Away. Satan, get lost. Songs that glorify Christ are songs that humiliate and spoil the devil. Sing a funeral song. Sing of his defeat. Sing of one day the lake of fire is ready for him, awaiting his arrival. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So this is what the Bible says the devil used to be. His name was Lucifer, which literally means um, light of the morning. You were the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, I'm not an English teacher, but I'm pretty sure if the Bible says you were, then he ain't any longer. So he's not the seal of perfection. Don't credit the devil more than what he deserves. Because the more you do that, the more foothold and the more room you give him to come into your life. You actually give the devil room to enter in by the words that you speak about him. When you diminish who God has made you in Christ, when you start to belittle Christ in you, when you speak about yourself like you're some miserable human being, we're all wretched humans and ultimately we're just hold, holding on and we're just keeping on and awaiting one day when we'll finally be saved. If you talk like that, you're, you are belittling redemption and what Christ did for you and what are you doing? As a result, you're issuing out an invitation to hell, telling them and stating, I don't know anything about the gospel and about redemption, so you can have free reign to do whatever you want in my life. You were. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Not is. He's been, we'll get into it. Sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub. So obviously the devil had some sort of position in heaven, a high level position, if perhaps even higher than the archangel Michael, because you remember in Jude 1, it says that Michael in contending against the devil for the body of Moses did not even dare bring a reviling accusation against him, but just said the Lord revile you, the Lord rebuke you. So he had a position of authority in heaven, 
And some believe that he was part, he was in charge of the worship of heaven. He was like the choir director. And isn't it interesting that when Satan fell from that position and um, was stripped of all his power and spoiled of all his glory and his, his, his beauty of what he was, the seal of perfection, isn't it interesting that God then creates man to do what? Even catechism, when you study, when Catholics go through catechism, the, and if you, if you study any theology book, if you study Methodists, Protestants, whatever it is, the main purpose of man is to do what? To glorify God. Jesus even said, if these do not cry out, the stones will cry out. So our purpose, Psalm 8 2, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou hast ordained praise. Our purpose is to enter his gates with thanksgiving. We are the, um, we are charged as a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, to proclaim the praises of God in every place. Our main purpose, our main task, our assignment on the earth and in heaven and for all eternity will be to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isn't it funny that the devil falls from the position of leadership in worship and God creates men to assume that position? To take over in the department of worship in heaven. No wonder he hates you. What he forfeited, what he lost, you now have in Christ Jesus. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You are on the mountain of God. That's why you see many times in the, New, in the New Testament, when Jesus cast out a devil, it was in a synagogue. The devil wants to get as close as he can to the presence of God. That's why you see a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of worship leaders uh, that end up falling bad. You know, there's a few of them that were strong, anointed worship leaders, and then now they still, they're still leading worship, or they're still writing Christian songs, I would say. But they're, <laughs> behind the scenes, if you would see what goes on in a lot of places, and get a good, if you had x-ray vision to see behind the stage in a lot of places, it's not pretty. I was just listening to a preacher yesterday. And uh, he was talking about his father-in-law, who's a, a well-known preacher. If I told you, you'd know his name. He was doing a crusade somewhere. And uh, the worship leader that he had brought in was like a very well-known, a famous worship leader. And he was backstage getting ready to go up and do his set. Someone overheard the worship leader cuss. And was like a, 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 a potty mouth behind, behind, behind the scenes. So he called uh, the preacher, the one that was going to preach the event. He wasn't at the, at the church yet or at the crusade ground. When he heard that, he immediately said, call the airlines, book up a flight and send them home. But there's no place for that in, in, in the church. I mean, that's why you see there's some worship leaders, they have such pure hearts. When they get up, their worship is accepted in heaven. Do you understand that not every sacrifice of praise is accepted in heaven? Jesus said, you people draw near to me with your mouths, but your hearts are far from me, and in vain do you worship me. That's why there's some, they can be the most talented worshipers. The devil hasn't lost his talent. He still knows how to do music. That's why you see the devil's crowd, they know how to produce, pr produce some good sounding tunes. But if you get to the core and the motive behind why that author wrote that song or where the lyrics came from, it ain't holy and it ain't good and it ain't clean. That's why you should avoid, not spend time, not listen to any music that's not 
That's not Christian. That's not God glorifying. So these guys, you have someone that might be the most talented person in the world. And when they sing, it's like, man, nothing. Nobody has their hands raised. It's just a show. They'll get their applause by men, but no applause from heaven because the presence of God doesn't come in. And then you have others. I've seen them. Where they, they might not be the most talented worship leader. They might not be the best pianist. They might not be the greatest guitar player. They might not have the best voice. But they have purity in their heart. And when they sing, it's like unavoidable. Even the heathen, even if someone doesn't even know God, an unbeliever walking into that atmosphere, there'll be tears. I've seen it. I've seen it countless times. There'll be tears just streaming down their face because they're feeling the tangible presence of God. So the devil lost that position in heaven. And the Bible says you were on the holy mountain of God. You were close to God. You felt the presence of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in every one of your ways from the day you were created until iniquity, sin was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you. And I destroyed you. And I destroyed you. And it's like some people think the devil was more powerful, is more powerful in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. That now he's at his most powerful state he's ever been in. Matter of fact, he's not a growing being. He's not increasing in quality. He's not growing in strength. He is an emaciated and a depleting, depleting uh, being. So if this referring to when the devil was cast out of heaven, that he was destroyed, that began, that began the leak of his power, where it just continuously was leaking forth. He constantly is losing power. He's not more powerful now than what he was. He is gradually decaying, gradually losing strength, gradually um, entering into his ultimate decadence where he'll be ultimately destroyed. But notice this, it doesn't say, I, 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 you know, I pushed you down, but you got back up. No, I destroyed you. Oh, covering cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, but I cast you to the ground. Verse 17, listen to this. I laid you before kings so that they can gaze at you. I laid, God did not just destroy he put him, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Christ has taken away the certificate of sin that was against us. He nailed it to the cross. And then he didn't just do that. That's where people stop. How many of you know we have forgiveness of sins and one day we'll uh, drag our sorry behinds, cross the pearly gates and we'll, we'll, we'll finally have dominion over the devil and we'll finally be able to be healed and finally be able to be delivered and finally, you know, they leave it at that. They don't move on to the next verse that says, and after that, he spoiled, he disarmed, he destroyed, he brought to nothing principalities and powers. I pray today's broadcast puts a, a image of the devil in your heart. Notice how Hollywood depicts him to be, like he's some strong, horny devil with a tail has like a knife at the end of it and he has a pitchfork and fire just breathing forth from his mouth and his eyes and the moment he looks at you you just crawl away and and, and are smothered by feelings of inferiority and fear 
That's not how the devil lives. That's how Hollywood does it. That's why you see like, you know, those exorcism movies where the, the, the Catholic priest who has no idea how to do anything walks in with a cross in his hands and he has garlic in his other hand and he's just saying, I adjure you, Satan, and just trying to use the name of Jesus, but really there's no backing of authority because he's just, you know, he's entering in without confidence. Anything done without confidence is going to fail miserably. So you see them, they come in and then the devil uh, turns on his back and, you know, starts walking on the four limbs and beats the person out and throws him out of the room and they end up, and you know, that does happen when you don't, when you have absolutely no authority or no knowledge of that authority and that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I read it on, on um, Tuesday. Acts 19 says the seven sons of Sceva tried to do that and they got the rear hands cast out. So when you do approach the devil from a human standpoint, expect to be defeated because you have no, if you approach him with, no knowledge of spiritual authority and you're going from a human perspective and with human strength and with human authority and human um and by human means you are going to be cast down you're going to be a mockery in hell no they won't know your name you'll be an object of of scoffing that's why when that demon that had cast out the seven sons of skiva turned to them he said jesus i know and paul i know he didn't just say, Jesus, I know, and I don't even respect Paul, so what do you think you're doing? No, I know Jesus, and he even said, I hold Paul on the same level as Jesus. Because Paul understands what, who lives in him. He didn't say, Jesus, I know, and Paul, sometimes I respect. No, the same way my tail ticks between my legs and I run when I saw Jesus in the days of the Gospels is the same day my tail runs right through my legs and I beeline it out of the room when Paul enters the room. Acts chapter 13, the Bible says that Paul is preaching to Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, and he's trying to win him over to the Lord. But the Bible says there was a man called Elymas, whose name is translated sorcerer, who was a false prophet, Bar Jesus, they used to call him. And he sought to turn the proconsul away from the words of the faith. That's one of Satan's primary mi missions, is to turn you away from the words of faith. It's to, if the devil could have it his way, he'd have you X out of this live stream right now. He'd have you turn it off and just go on to watch Netflix, bing on things that won't absolutely and necessarily help you here, and it will be completely um, non-profitable in heaven and in eternity. So the what he wants to do is turn you away from doctrines that when received, acquired, and believed upon have the power to build up in you a sense of superiority over his work. And when that happens, you channel that spiritual energy towards him and it, it just blows him out. There's, there's no, there's not even, you understand, there's never been in the book of Acts and in the book the books of the Gospels, not once does Jesus pray about the devil. There's never a time where the devil started to raise his ugly head and he got the disciples around him. They joined hands and they said, let's just pray against this demon. Father, we come to you today and we just, we just, you know, we pray against this spirit that's entered into. No, there's no mention of it. That's why when there was suicide in this region in northern Saskatchewan, Maquasagagon, uh, an epidemic of suicide, people killing themselves left right and center is a town of like a thousand people and they had in the month that i went there i think it was like either 21 attempts or 14 attempts something between 14 and 21 and four people had actually succeeded to kill themselves in a in a in a town of a thousand people and before that that whole year they were in the news i hadn't heard of it i hadn't read of it because it's on the western side of canada so it never reached my ears but when someone told me and made me aware of it 
my friend Rory McDonald messaged me saying, you know, would you consider going to do a, going to do a, a crusade there or helping these kids out? And I said, consider, there's no prayer necessary. Yes, absolutely, we're going. So my friend Rory and I, along with my buddy Daniel Matteo, we went, contacted a pastor in the area called Pastor, uh, his name is Pastor Tyler Coupland. You might be watching right now. Great pastor in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. Phenomenal man of God. And um, he, he hooked it up. We rented out the town, the, the, like the town hall, the main like building in the area that can seat enough people if everyone were to come out. And we did seven days of meetings. Seven days of meetings, and also during the day we went into the high schools because a lot of the suicides were actually teenagers. The you know fourteen year olds. There was one one that was I think nine years old that killed herself because she had been you know all kinds of stuff had happened to her. She didn't want to live anymore. When you have a nine year old killing themselves, uh, killing herself, that obviously is not just she has a chemical imbalance in her brain. No, there's a demon at work to steal, kill, and ultimately destroy her life in hell forevermore so what did we do well you know what buddies let's we'll keep them in prayer pastor tyler let me just tell you we're keeping that region in prayer no we set up a crusade philip acts chapter 8 the bible says the disciples were scattered everywhere philip went down to the city of samaria and he did what he grabbed out his guitar and he started to sing worship songs over the city and he just bound the principality no he went into the region and he preached Christ to the people. As he did, the Bible says multitudes gave heed to the things he spoke and he heard. And they heard. The things that he, they, sorry, the things that he spoke and the things that they saw. For many that were taken with palsy and paralyzed were healed and demons were shrieking as they came out of people. The easiest way to have mass deliverance is to get people to come to Christ. The moment they come to Christ, the moment they hear the gospel, the demon in them can't stand the heat of the fire of the word of God. The Bible says, it's not my word like a fire. That fire, when it's turned up, when you preach it forcefully, it, it boots out foreign resistance. It boots out demons. The Bible doesn't say and he laid hands on them and cast out demons one after the other. The Bible says, as he was preaching Christ, just the power of the gospel coming into their ears. Not every demon-possessed person wants to stay demonized. There's a lot that have double consciousness. So when they get into the trance, they're totally oblivious to what they do. But once that demon lifts off them, they, they want to be helped. They don't want to stay bound. I've met drug addicts that they say, the moment that thing comes on me, I can't go to bed until I put needle in, a needle in my vein. The Bible says their sleep is taken away unless they have done something evil. They, that demon drives, just like the Holy Ghost, there's a lot of comparisons and parallels you can make when someone's baptized in the Holy Ghost and when someone opens himself to demon possession. The demon possession is a counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit does in a believer's life. So when a ho the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes someone, they speak with new tongues. When a demon will come on someone, it'll control his mouth and what he says. They'll sometimes just gnash it with their teeth or they'll yell and say all kinds of profanities. When the Holy Ghost comes on someone, they, they receive gifts of the Spirit, gifts of healing, working of miracles. When a demonized person, open, when someone is demonized and opens himself up to a demon possession, they have certain supernatural gifts. They're not, they're not divine gifts. They're certainly not gifts of the Holy Ghost, but they might be the gifts of an unclean spirit. And that's fortune telling, mediumship, or 
um, palm reading, whatever. Then when the Holy Ghost comes on someone and they're baptized in the Spirit, you see them do what? They have an, a, a passion, a drive to tell people about Jesus. When a demonized person is controlled by demons, they have a passion and a drive to hurt, assault, and destroy other people's lives. So you can see there's it's just a counterfeit. The devil is the ape of God. He's just a counterfeit of everything God has ever done. He's nothing new. He is not an innovator. He cannot create. He has no ability to create. He can only work with what he's got. And if you actually study further, Satan has zero authority and zero power in heaven and on earth. The Bible says in Matthew 28 verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, all power and all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. I'm not a mathematician, but if there's eight pieces of pie and Jesus ate all eight pieces of pie, how many pieces of pie are still there for the devil? Zero. Big zero. So the devil has no real power. The only power he has is the ability to get you to be deceived. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, I fear, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, I fear as Satan deceived Eve by his subtility, so you too will be deceived from the simplicity that is in the gospel. So what happened when the simplicity of the gospel was preached in Philip's day? Demons came out and then there was great joy in the city. When I went to that Maquasagagon uh, First Nation County, that reserve, we preached day in and day out. Probably did like 12 or 14 meetings in seven days. And we saw, I think it was like, I might be wrong, 180 decisions for Christ in that time? About 180 decisions for Christ in, in seven days in a region of a thousand people. That's over 10, that's 18% of the entire region. People were coming in, the crowd started, we were like 30 people the first night. By the end of it, I think we had like 140 people, something like that, 135 people. And we saw people, I remember one guy came in bound by meth addiction and suicidal, told me, night one, I'm going to kill myself, please help me. Prayed for him, laid hands on him. He came back, that was Sunday night, he came back Tuesday night. I didn't even recognize him when he came up to me. He said, hey brother, remember me? I said, no, I don't, can you enlighten me? He said, I'm the guy that came up to you on Sunday night. Totally changed his countenance. The light of his countenance had been written. The Bible says in Psalms, they looked unto him and their faces were no longer ashamed and they became radiant. God's gospel just caused radiance, light, beauty, shine on his face. And he totally was transformed. By the end of the week, he had a Bible in his hand, wanted, you know, was messaging me, asking me what the next step should be. You know, that's what the power of the gospel can do. And then when we left that, I think up until maybe Tuesday, when I heard there was a suicide, that was in December of 2019. Up until Tuesday, I think there's been two suicides. I might be wrong, but from my contact, Pastor Tyler Coupland, he said there was one suicide in 2020, which is a mystery because given the year of 2020, if they're already suffering with a suicidal tendency, 2020 would put most people over the edge. And there was only one from what I heard. And then up until Tuesday, I saw there was another one. Two. When there was 14 attempts in the day we landed Sunday morning, there was a suicide attempt on the other side of the street where we started preaching. And someone intervened just in time. The devil tried to have his last efforts at bringing that guy and, and, and gripping his soul and bringing him down into destruction. But what the moment we arrived, 
Someone in, intervened at the last moment. He had a gun drawn on his head and they put it down and they rescued him. The devil can try his best, but when the light of this message and this gospel gets in you, his best will never be enough. Paul, what does he do in Acts 13? Bar-Jesus is trying to seek to, he's seeking to turn the pro-council away from the words of the faith. What does Paul do? Barnabas, let's join hands. We need to pray against this, this distracting spirit. No, he took authority over it. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you who do not cease to make crooked those straight ways of God. May judgment come on you and may you be blind for a time not seeing the sun. And immediately mist came over. Is that New Testament or Old Testament? That's New Testament. That's, New, that's Book of Acts Christianity. There are people that you can pray for that God saves them. There are people you should intercede that God saves. Matter of fact, all should be interceded that God saves. But if they come to a point where they are destroying human lives, you don't, you don't pray. There, there's a, an extent of how much you can pray for those people. But if they do not relent, Psalm 7 says, if they do not relent, God will prepare his instruments of death against them. So there's some people you pray for, but Paul didn't pray for him. He didn't say, Father, we just pray for Elemis, that he was, his heart would turn to the Lord, that he would see the... No, he took authority over the thing that was actually hindering the gospel and getting to another. When someone makes it his point to hinder another's access to God and to God's help, they're not sinners anymore. They're wicked people, and they're to be dealt with differently. That's why the Bible says God is the God of vengeance who renders unto the wicked the punishment due their name. Like I said, one, I said one time, the woman going into the abortion clinic to get an abortion might not necessarily be wicked. She's definitely in sin. She's definitely in a rebellion against God. And if she doesn't repent and turn from that and ask for God's for forgiveness, she will go to hell or anyone that condones abortion on that matter. But the people that fund the abortion industry, they're not the same as the one who's getting the abortion. They're on a higher level. Even Jesus said there's different levels in, in, in hierarchy of demon spirits. There's some lesser wicked demon spirits and then there's very, very wicked demon spirits. Jesus said that. He goes and gets seven spirits more wicked than he. So you don't pray. There's not one instance in the whole Bible where a believer or Jesus prays about the devil. Anytime the devil came in contact with Jesus or one of his disciples, the disciple or Jesus himself took authority over the devil. Let me read Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. I hope this is helping you. If you haven't, you're just joining me now. I have no idea how many people are online because my, my um, restream chat for some odd reason is not showing me. It's been at zero since the beginning. But I'm pretty sure because of the comments there's not zero people. But I, if this is encouraging you and this is helping you, help someone else out. Share the broadcast. Get it out to as many people as possible. Verse 12, Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven. The devil will work overtime to get you away from a message like this. That's why the message of dominion in the North American church is like almost seen as, as like heretical. Oh no, they, they preach that dominion theology. Really, we don't have any dominion like that. 
Jesus didn't teach dominion. Really? Jesus didn't teach dominion? Then why did he tell his disciples that if a mountain comes before you, you don't have to tolerate the mountain. You can say to the mountain <coughs> and command it to go if he didn't teach dominion. If Jesus didn't teach dominion, why did he say, if you, if you demand anything in my name, I will enforce it from heaven? Why did Jesus say in Matthew 18, 16, that if you will bind anything on earth, I'll bind it from heaven if he didn't care about dominion? Obviously, why did Jesus say in Mark 16, 14 through 17, he that believes on me, these signs will follow, they will cast out devils. So dominion, if you can identify your enemy and understand your victory and power and triumph over him, what's going to happen? You'll never deal with him the appropriate way. You'll always go elsewhere to seek relief from the problems of life. And it's funny that everyone that, you know, mocks this type of message, they always resort into whenever, like a preacher that mocks a message like this, the moment someone in their congregation needs help with something that the devil is obviously causing, what do they do? They refer them to a specialist. They send them out and refer them elsewhere instead of dealing, instead of using the keys God has given us. They're like the Pharisees. You Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites, you lawyers. You have robbed the people of the key of knowledge. And you don't even enter in yourself. And you prevent people from entering into that level of victory and triumph. You rob the people of the key of knowledge. That's why when these keys, when you're equipped with these keys, it equips you then to enter into God's very best for you here on the earth. Where you don't have to tolerate. But you can say enough is enough. I am destined not for shame, for curse, or reproach. I'm destined for glory and for virtue. The Bible says those whom he did predestinate, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he did glorify. Anything that is not God glorifying, anything that doesn't edify, anything that doesn't build up, anything that doesn't add joy, anything that doesn't add peace, anything that robs you of serenity and of, of stability is an assignment of hell to wipe you out. But God has given you keys so that you don't have to tolerate. You know, you know who's nervous? when he gets to his car the one who doesn't have the keys to get into his car you know who confidently approaches his car and gets in the one who has the keys you know who's nervous when the devil rises up the one who doesn't have the keys of the word of God to deal with him in an appropriate manner you know who's not nervous the one who more than a more than enough knows every everything that's been allotted to him in redemption, all the keys are equipped in his belt. He now has weapons of warfare, not to endure, but to cast down every wicked agenda, every evil thought. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We do not deal with spiritual problems in carnal ways. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Hallelujah. Isaiah 14, 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who wake, weakened the nations. For you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the, con the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. 
I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. Like we read in, in Ezekiel. This is one of my favorite stories and uh, to, to read. Favorite prophecies of Scripture. Not, it's not even a prophecy. He's actually referring to a past event. Those who see you. Well, up until verse 15, he's referring to a past event, Satan being cast down. Verse 16 is actually going to be at the end of time. When we physically, with our eyes, see the devil and what he's worth. Those who see you, but my prayer, the reason I'm doing this broadcast is so that you don't have to wait until eternity's morning to see the devil for what he's really worth, but you can see him now. This is how the Bible says those who wait for eternity, this is what they're going to say. They're going to look at the devil and consider him and say, is this the man? Is this the man who, who made the earth tremble? They're not going to say, oh, wow, I, now I understand why the earth trembled. Now I understand why the, the nations were weakened. Of course, look at the guy. How could we have taken, taken uh, we had our work cut out for us. How could we have taken authority over that? God, you really expected us to do something about this? Look at him. Look at the size of his arms. doesn't say that. It says, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who depleted societies? Who caused depressions economically? Who brought famines and drought? Is this the one who made the world like a wilderness? This is what he looks like? Is this the one who destroyed its cities? And, and refused or who did not open the house of his prisoners? Is this the one that kept my child captive? Is this the one that kept my friend sick? Is this the one that killed my relative prematurely? This is what he looks like? This is the one who brought sickness on that body? This is the one that shook my house and brought divorce in my home? This is the one who pinned the child against his father and father against his child. This is the one who steered up kings to go to war against other kings and commit genocides. I wish I had known what he looked like back then. I would have dealt with him differently. But that's why God drew you to this broadcast. You know what? You're not going to be one of those who wishes you had done things differently. Today, that image of Satan is getting into your into your heart. Well, you're not gonna, next time he comes knocking on your door, you're not going to cower and try and hide in the rocks. No, something's coming alive in you to react violently against the horrors of the devil that the next time he tries to get room in your house, the next time he tries to take room in your body, the next time he tries to get room in your finances, the next time he tries to get room in your, in your workplace, in your business, you'll rise up with holy confidence and return him back to where he came back to hell where he has his 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 origins in dwelling his dwelling place i refuse to be tossed to and fro by this defeated foe this chump that has to come in you today or else you're going to stay captive the rest of your life you have to rise i refuse i'm not putting up with this another day in my life, which leads me to three, three ways you are to enforce this dominion. Number one, 
react violently against it, against the attack of hell. Don't give him, well, I'll let him come up to here, but the moment he crosses this line, then I'll start to deal with the... No, the, put the line far, far, far away. You remember what the Bible says? You have been delivered from the powers of darkness and have been translated into God's kingdom, a kingdom of light. I'm not where the devil is anymore. If the devil couldn't keep you from leaving the headquarters of hell when you got saved, the moment you believed, the devil could not keep you from getting saved. The moment you heard this gospel of truth in which you believed, you were saved. And the devil couldn't keep you in his grip. He could not hold you down or pin you down. You started, you started to rise above sin. Rise above the curse and the penalty of the law. Well, if the devil couldn't keep you from getting saved, if he couldn't keep you in sin, if he couldn't enslave you a day after you believed on the gospel, and you escaped the prison house, the headquarter of hell, how much easier do you suppose it's going to be to walk out of the suburbs of hell. How much easier do you suppose? What power does he have if he couldn't keep you in the headquarters with every one of his demons keeping watch on you? How much more easy do you suppose it's going to be to walk out on everything else he's trying to do in your life? Every affliction. Every sign of his presence. You're translated. You're not part, you know what dwells in the powers of darkness in the kingdom of darkness? Sickness dwells in the kingdom of darkness. Distress dwells in the kingdom of darkness. Depression, anxiety, panic attacks. Those things dominate those that dwell in the kingdom of darkness. Stop identifying yourself as, well, how many of you know we're still in this world? We're in a fallen world. No! My, I might be in this world. I am not of this world. I have been bought from, a, I've been born from above. I dwell in, sit, in, in heavenly places. The Bible says in Philippians 3.20, I have my citizenship in heaven, in heaven. I'm not a citizen of this earth anymore. Those that are earthly can feed on this kingdom of darkness. They can continue to live in that if they don't want to repent. But now that I'm heavenly, I'm a partaker of his heavenly inheritance. I'm no longer under the regiment of hell. I'm no longer under the tyrannical control and dominance of Satan or his forces. Just like I said on Tuesday, a foreign nation, Malaysia, cannot send troops to come and arrest me in Canada. I would laugh in their face. You have, I just call one, you know, call my, my local politician and they'd have those guys dispatched and sent back to their own nation. He can't, he can't bind me. He has no jurisdiction to tie me up and imprison me or arrest me here. Let me read something. This is going to fire you up. If this is the one revelation you get today, which I don't think it will be, but it's enough to break free forever. Listen to this. Verse 7, Revelation 12, 7. And war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his dragon, or his angels, sorry, fought with the dragon, and the dragon with his angels fought. The dragon, the Bible is going to say, is that old serpent of of old, the ancient serpent, the devil himself. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. 
So the serpent, the great dragon, was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast down to him. Verse 10 says, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Not, and they have to still live with him, but the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb guarantees that one day they'll, be, they'll overcome. No, they overcame, past tense. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. That means the word of what you confess. So it's not just, you can't just know the blood of the Lamb can help you and then not confess it by the, your, your testimony. Your testimony has to line up with what's in your heart. I don't only believe in my heart that the blood of the Lamb has power to covenant exempt me from any uh, torture that the enemy would bring on this generation. I confess it openly. He that dwells in the shelter of the Almighty shall abide under the protection of God Almighty. I will say, I will testify, I will confess, I will declare of my God. He is my shelter. He is my fortress. He is my refuge. In Him I trust. Though a thousand fall around me, ten thousand at my right hand. Though war break out amongst me, though the enemy rises up against me, in this I am confident that the Lord is my dwelling place. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He gives His angels charge to bear me up in their, way, in my, in their hands, lest I should even dash my foot against a stone. Thou shalt trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. And the Bible says... Um, because you have set your love on me, God said, I will set you securely on high, far from oppression. So I don't just believe that, I confess that daily. There are daily confessions you must make. There are things you have to speak daily. Not just think them. Confess it. The devil doesn't know what you're thinking. You have to speak it, to open up your mouth Boldly, the Bible says, and God said, I'll openly confirm it. I will confirm it openly. Jesus didn't sit in heaven and think about salvation. He came and preached, saying, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. He did not think about salvation. He didn't wish for you to be redeemed and reconciled to God. He acted and confessed it. And as he spoke it, many believed on him and said, this is indeed the Christ, the one who is to come into the world. Verse 12, Revelation 12, 12. Listen to this. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Where do you dwell? You dwell in heaven. Where are you seated? Ephesians 2, you were at one time dead in your sins, the trespasses of your sins and we're walking according to the course of this world and we're bound by the spirit of disobedience which now works in the sons of disobedience and we're by nature children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy because of the great mercy that he has for you. He hath raised you up with Christ, made you alive in Christ and has made you to be seated in Christ Jesus. Where? In earthly places? No. Where is Christ? Christ is far above Ephesians 1, 19, 28 through 22. Christ is far above. God made him to be, he raised him from the dead and made him to be seated in heavenly places far above principalities, powers, dominions, might, kingdoms, and every name, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has been made the head 
over all things to the church, which is his body. So the Bible says Christ is the head, we are his body. Now I'm not a physician, and I didn't study much biology, maybe a bit in high school, but I'm pretty sure that a head connects to the rest of the body. And I'm pretty sure that the brain, the head, sends out signals and transmits neurons to get the hand to move, to get the leg to move, to enforce, you know, I can think things, but I need my hands to cooperate with what I'm signaling to them to do. If I want to get the thing done. Well, Christ is the head, but for too long, there's been a decapitated church where we, we, we exalt Christ and we should exalt Christ and that we have to glorify Christ. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He's the one who never changes. He is the preeminent one. He is the all, uh, the all powerful one. He is the one in whom all things consist. He is the one where the thrones, dominions, powers, and principalities, all things were made by him. He was in the beginning with God, was the word made flesh. He is God, was God, and will always be God. However, we cannot decapitate the body of Christ and sever the head and put it in a in one class and then the body in another class. They're both in the same class. We're joint heirs with Christ and we are heirs in his dominion too over the devil. And Christ is seated in, heaven, in heavenly places and the Bible says we dwell in heavenly places. We dwell in Christ in heavenly places. And the Bible says you are to rejoice who dwell in heaven. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth, those who are not redeemed. That's why we need to get people saved because they're living in a woe, in a curse. Because the devil has come down to you having great wrath for he knows that he has but a short while. He knows that his time is, click, is ticking. He knows that the last few grains of sand are passing through the hourglass of time. He knows that his day, his, his day is coming. He knows, he knows prophetic scripture. He understands that there's a lake of fire that awaits him. So he's doing his best now to afflict mankind. And when you're unredeemed, you are subject, like I read in Galatians 4, even if, even if you are redeemed, but you don't know what I'm preaching to you right now. The Bible says when we were children, Galatians 4, Paul's not talking about when we were physically children. He's saying when we were children in God, when we were very uh, immature in our spirituality, when we didn't know much, we were still under the bondage of the elements of this world. That's why when I got saved, I still had OCD. I had to find out what the Bible said concerning divine healing before I got healed. And then now I'm healed. For the truth shall set you free. So as long as you remain spiritually in spiritual infancy with your knowledge of God and His Word, you're under the elements of bondage. But the Bible says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't subject yourself to a yoke of bondage through your ignorance. So where I am in heavenly places, the devil, the Bible says there was no, no more place found for him in heaven. People always say, well, what about Job? You know, Job, uh, the devil came and asked for Job's life he, and he got permission from heaven. First of all, Job, and I've said this many times, is not under the same covenant that we are now. He wasn't even under Moses' covenant. Some people put him in the days of Abraham, maybe possibly before Abraham. So he didn't have knowledge of covenant. All he had was the Genesis 6 covenant, which was that 
and Genesis 3, that God was going to send a seed to break and crush the devil's head. But that's about it. And, he, and Genesis 6, which is long, as long as the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold in winter will remain. And I'll no longer destroy the earth by, by flooding. That's the only covenant Job had. He didn't have Jesus. He knew that a mediator, a redeemer was coming, but he didn't have the ability to call on God. He didn't have the name of Jesus. He wasn't born again. He wasn't seated in heavenly places. He didn't have the blood of Jesus over his life. He looked forward to it and was made righteous because of his faith in what God was going to do. But he couldn't partake. That's why the Bible says the prophets, they desperately inquired in the grace that would be revealed to us in Christ. They searched carefully and desperately inquired in that grace. There was types and shadows of it. But those types and shadows of the old, we're partakers of the actual body of Christ, of the actual blood of Christ, of the actual sacrificial substitutionary work of Christ and the benefits given to us through that. So now that you know that, if you dwell in a place where Satan... So Job, when, when the enemy came before Job, the Bible says, and the enemy came with the sons of God and he approached the council of heaven. That was like, that was before Jesus, let me read it. This is the whole title of my broadcast. I should read this verse. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Where did Jesus get, where did we get that title from? Luke 10 and verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. The harvest truly is great. Laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest and send out, to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Among wolves. Da, 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 da. Verse 9. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So they go out. They're dispatched. 70 people. They go into ministry. They've been dispatched. They've been commissioned into the ministry. What happened when they came back? Verse 17. And the 70, the 70 returned with great, great, great sorrow as they saw that everything Jesus told them to go and do was actually not very true. They tried to cast out devils. It didn't work. They tried to heal the sick. It didn't work. And they said, you know, Jesus sat them down and he said, this is what I was trying to tell you. You guys are trying to be like me. I told I never said you'd be like me in power. I said you'd be like me in character. I said that you're to be more loving. I said that you should be more peaceful. I said that the fruit of the Spirit, you know, people always say, which is more important, the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit? I tell them, which is more important, eating or breathing? You need the both. One, <laughs> It's not one or the other. Jesus didn't say, mimic my character, but totally ignore my power. He said, go heal the sick. The works that you've seen me do, you will do in greater works because I go to the Father. And the 70, as a result of their knowledge of that, returned with great joy. And they said, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was referring to what we read in Isaiah 14. Satan fell like lightning. Revelations 12, we read it. There was no more place for him found in heaven. He doesn't have access to where you and I are seated. It's like, for example, if I went into space without an astronaut suit, I'd die quickly. Because my body's not suitable for that environment. The devil's body and um, his being is not suitable for the environment of where we are. 
I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And behold, I give you. So he didn't say that was just a trial. That was just a test. But it ends here. You know, once I go and the last apostle dies, you know, Luke, I don't even want you to write this down in Luke chapter 10. I don't even want you to write it down because then people are going to get the impression they can go out and cast out devils and demons are subject to them. They're going to go out and think that they can have dominion over all these things. And I've never said that to them. I was just saying that to you. Why do you think he wrote it? Jesus said, the things I speak to you, I speak to all. I give you power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love that verse because it tells you, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Jesus was saying it's not because you're an apostle. It's not because you're, you're one of my companions. It's not because you've been with me that these demons are subject to you. Rather, it's because your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. You know what that tells you? You don't have to attain a level of spirituality and piety before you can exercise this authority. You just have to have your name written in heaven. Make sure you're saved. We are the body of Christ. If you feel like you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ, you're still above the devil. He's under our feet. If you feel like you're the big toe of the body of Christ, he's still under your feet. It's not about fasting and praying to the level where you, you know, you go, you know, Jesus did 40, let's do 60 days. That has nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, Jesus said this type, when he was referring to that demon that wasn't coming out, this type cometh not out but by prayer and fasting, but he also said it's because of your unbelief. You can pray and fast all you want, but if you don't have faith that because your name is written in heaven, just based on that fact, you have authority over all the power of the devil and to trample on his work, to toy with him, that everywhere you go, you can, the Bible didn't say where you go, work around the devil's agenda. No, he said where you go, cast him out, throw his rear end out, forcefully eject him from where you're at. So if you're saved today, that's, you should rejoice greatly because you're in heaven, your name is written in heaven and anything the devil would throw at you is subject to you. It takes a violent reaction. Number two, you need to pick up your shield. How to enforce your, your dominion? Pick up the shield of faith. Where which, Ephesians 6.16, you can quench every fiery dart of the devil. The shield of faith is what? Psalm 91. His faithful promises is our shield and our bulwark. Jesus in the wilderness gets challenged by the devil. What does Jesus do? Father, we bind this. No, it is written. No prayer necessary. It is written. I pick up my shield called faith and it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Get out. And then finally on the third one, the Bible says, Jesus said, away from me, Satan. You know what that tells you? Three scriptures was all it took to get rid of the devil, the boss of hell. That means it won't even take, it won't even take two, it'll take one scripture to throw out low-level demons, and then it won't take more than three scriptures to throw out even the highest-level demon out of your home or out of your body or fine, whatever. It won't take more. That shows you it doesn't take more than three scriptures to totally subdue and flatten out the enemy anywhere you would find him acting up in your life. Pick up the shield of faith. You can't fight to get hold of something you don't even know what belongs to you. 
If you don't even know it belongs to you from the word of God, you're not going to fight it. Or you're not going to fight to get it. So the, the word of God, when you, uh, when you study it and read it, it shows you what your inherit inheritance is. And when you don't see those things uh, present in your life, you know that it's the enemy that's come to steal them, to rob you of that, of that glorious destiny. And as such, when you realize that, it, you know, God's promised this to me, I don't have it. Obviously, it's, there's an enemy at work. Now you're going to fight to lay hold of those things. You're not just going to dismiss it to, you know, some other reason or excuse. You're going to fight to, because if God said I can have it, who should stand in my way to keep me from having it? The Bible says in Deuteronomy 2.24, I have given you to the Israelites, I have given you the land of, ahead of you, Canaan, and I've given you Sihon, king of the Amorites, into your hand. But arise and contend in battle. Things don't just drop into your hands. Things not, the devil's just not going to like leave you alone. You have to arise. And 2 Kings chapter 1, they send troops. King Ahab sends troops to arrest King, uh, Elijah, the prophet. What does Elijah do? Elijah doesn't say, well, you know, this day was coming. Here are my hands. Cuff me. He got up. And he contended for his freedom. And he said, am I not a man of God? Don't you know who you're messing with? If I be a man of God, may fire come down and consume you. And what happened? They left him alone. If you just think the enemy's going to come, do his thing, and just, you know, just, just take it. No, that's how people do it. You have an abusive spouse, and what do they... Poor counsel. What would you tell... A woman that's being beat by her husband. Would you say just take it? You know, eventually he'll stop the drunk. He'll fall asleep because he's drunk. Or would you say, no, you got to do something about it. You wouldn't, just, you wouldn't tell an, an abuse victim, just take it. Well, the devil's come out to abuse humanity and some of the children of God. And you have preachers that are telling them they should just take it until Jesus comes back. When the Bible says you don't have to wait till then, Christ has redeemed us. Christ has set us free. Christ has delivered us from this present wicked age by the glory and, and power of God. And number three, having done all. So you pick up the shield of faith, spin out some scriptures at him, and he'll leave you alone. And if he doesn't do it on the first time, remember he came to Jesus three different times. And the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He's going to constantly try and gain access, but you have to stand fast. Because he's a roaring, he's a, 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 like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. Even if the devil was a lion, he ought to be an old lion by now. And you know that an old lion has no power. They, they're too weak to pounce on their prey. So what do they do? They have the same roar they had when they were five years old. So they use their roar to strike fear into their victims and paralyze them. The devil is, even if he was, but he's not. Even if he was a lion, he's an old lion. The only thing he can do is roar and be loud around you. And then strike fear that paralyzes you. And then he can come in and do whatever he, whatever he wants. 
But if you won't let his roar get to you and realize he's actually just a mouse with a microphone, then you won't be a victim. Lose the victim mentality. Lose the suffering mentality. Well, these are just things I have to go through because, you know, ultimately we won't learn unless, unless there's trials. Lose that suffering mentality. You weren't created to suffer. Jesus said, come to me all that are suffering, heavy laden, burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and take my, my burden. It's easy. Anything that doesn't constitute an easy burden is not from God. Anything that's weighing you down and crushing is not from God. And my yoke, which is light, uh, which is, sorry, my burden, which is light, my yoke, which is easy. And you will find rest for your souls. If it's not light and it's not easy, it's not from God. How many of you know when you come to serve God, things aren't going to get easier. They're going to get a whole lot harder. But God will be with you. What? Then throw Matthew 11, 29 and 30 out. Did, G did David say, by my God, you know, I can get through the day. Or did he say, by my God, he makes my hands to bend a bow of bronze. What is impossible and natural, by my God, poof, a bow of bronze, a hard metal, I can bend it. Because he makes me to run through a troop and leap over walls. What can't be done through human limitations, by my God, I can accomplish by supernatural ability. You think Samson, without the anointing, look at when he lost the anointing, what happened? He was cheap prey for the Philistines to bind him, gouge his eyes out, and make a mockery of him. And a lot of people haven't taken time to develop, fast and pray, read, study. But you have, obviously, you're watching right now. To build up that anointing in you. That the treasure of God might manifest in our earthen vessels. The moment the anointing came on Samson, what happened? The pillars, he had no power to pull down before, all of a sudden pulled down and there was more victories in his death than there was in his life. You want to know what that means? That shows you that God always has a higher level for you to get to. God always has a next level for you. God always has uh, uh, greater things ahead than he had behind you. There's never a lesser moment in God. The more you go with God, the more you adventure with God, the more you travel with God, the more you walk with God, the better things go. The better things get. There are, there's never going to be a better last year for you in the name of Jesus. There'll be, never be a better last month for you in the name of Jesus. There'll never be a better yesterday in the name of Jesus. Every day from this day onward shall be shining brighter and brighter, the promises of God becoming a reality for you until the day Jesus takes you home or his rapture or the rapture of the church happens. For everyone watching right now, I said, Without the Spirit of God, without Christ, without you taking that first step to draw near to God, God and His power and everything I spoke on to you will never draw near to you. You have to be saved. The Bible says unless you are born again, you'll never enter the things of the kingdom of God. You'll never enter into God's greatness. You'll never enter into God's promises and plans for you, which are for good and for prosperity and never to harm or destroy you. But the Bible says you must be born again. Are you born again? I don't mean you go to church. I don't mean you volunteer at the soup kitchen locally. I don't mean you volunteer or, or you even give to your church. 
I don't mean you tithe and pay offerings. You can do all those things and go to hell. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was doing all that. He prayed, he even fasted, and he gave alms, and he built the people a synagogue. But the angel of the Lord came to him and he says, go and fetch for Peter to hear words from his mouth by which you must be saved. The words was the gospel, that Christ died, demonstrated his love for you. While you were still in sin, he died for you. Why did he have to die? Because there was a sin stain on humanity that could not be washed by even tide detergents. There was no detergent man can conceive that could wash the sin stain that had come on us through deliberate disobedience to God. That's why the blood of Jesus was the pure blood, a blood without spot, without wrinkle. And it, uh, blood had to be shed to forgive us, to abolish, to absolve us of the penalty and curse of sin. When Jesus died, he took upon himself the penalty of that sin, which was not just temporary disaster and torment, but eternal destruction away from the presence of God. But God said, I don't want them. I didn't prepare hell for them. I prepared it for the devil and his demons, but heaven I've prepared for you. God has prepared a place for you. Are you born again? There is one question that you should never leave a question mark. You should never have a, a, a question mark remaining on that question by the end of the day, and that's, is God your, is God your father? Are you going to make heaven? Are you, without a shadow of a doubt, if heaven's skies were to split open, and Jesus, by the archangel, blow that trumpet, and the rapture of the church happened, would you, would you be one of those that get caught up? If not, you need to make your, you need to turn your life over to Jesus today. You need to repent and believe on this gospel. And the Bible says when you do, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. So pray this with me. Pray this from the depths of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I turn to you today. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess Christ is my Lord. Make me a new creature. Let old things pass away. Wash away my deepest and darkest sins. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to live for you forever and ever. And I'll never turn back. From this day onward, I'm moving forward always. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on our website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill out the link. Uh, fill out the form, sorry. Get it to me. If you've never, first of all, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to fill that out. I want to hear from you and I want to get material to you. I want to get um, some sermons to you. I want to get a Bible in your hands just to bless you and help you out. If you have rededicated your life to Christ today, you are far away, and today was a day you're committing yourself to God again. You're putting yourself back on the altar of God, never to, and you're binding, binding the sacrifice yourself to the altar, and you're, that's you. I want you to go on the website and do the same thing. Salvationnow.ca, I just got saved. If you want a prayer request, Go in the contact us uh, form and she, the, the form we have on our website, contact us, fill that out. I will pray for you. If you have a prayer request, you can go there. If you got saved or you got, you rededicated your life to Christ, then do, I just got saved. Because I don't think I'm making that clear. I have a lot of people that, you know, you can tell they're saved and they're filling out the new salvation form. 
we're going to send things out to those that, you know, are starting this new life in Christ. So if you've never been saved and you you did today, you got you, you dedicated your life to God or you rededicated your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I just got saved. Fill it out. I want to get something to you free of charge. We pay shipping and handling, and I want to bless you. For the rest of you online, I pray that this teaching got into your heart today. And I pray every lingering force, anything that's, I pray, I know that there's a lot of you that have been delivered already. Even from, I've seen people, the weight just lifted. A bunch of people uh, are testifying that God, God touched them and God hit them, Facebook and YouTube. But for anything that's still lingering, in Jesus' name, I take authority over that thing right now. Anything seeking to disrupt anybody's marriage represented here, children, keeping them from serving the Lord, I take authority over those things. And I join my faith with those watching and I cast those attacks down to the ground. Anything my heavenly Father has not planted is uprooted now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. And we'll give you praise, glory, and honor for it. We call it done by faith. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.